Hello, and welcome to History Reconsidered, a podcast dedicated to taking a deep dive into historical issues and events and relating them to the modern world. I'm your host, Jared Stebman, and I'm joined by my co-host, Samantha Mitra. On this week's episode, we'll be talking about the war on history and the cultural revolution that's led to the toppling of statues and monuments in the United States and throughout the West. And to kind of set up this episode, I think we, we both talked about uh, doing this for a while. Uh, I think a recent incident uh, that took place with a William Penn statue in Pennsylvania in front of his house, uh, where the National Park Service in early January announced that they were going to be removing this statue for the purpose of inclusion, which I, I, I actually found kind of amusing, the idea that you would remove something uh, for inclusion, which I think actually gets to the heart of, of what that means and what the meaning of uh, the diversity, equity, and inclusion movement uh, really is. Fortunately, the decision to remove the statue was actually reversed after a huge Twitter storm, or I guess you could call it X now, uh, and a, re a reversal by the National Park Service. Um, so there was good news on it, but I would say that the very fact that a statue of William Penn, which the National Park Service gave no other reason besides what I said before, which was the inclusion uh, definition, to actually remove, the fact that this was even considered to begin with uh, is part of the problem. And I think that while it's a good news that the statue wasn't removed, the very fact that it was considered at all hints to this, this, the depth of this problem, that the war on history, so to speak. Yeah, I uh, I agree. I one of the things which I uh, it's not a good thing to take credit for, but um, you and I we both have been following the statue toppings that's happening in both in in the UK and the US. And uh, for the listeners, Jared has written a magnificent book that we are going to talk about today anyway, um, which is like one of the first um, you know drafts of history, so to speak, about um, the, this this cultural revolution that has happened in in both our countries. Um, I remember in 2015 when the Roads Must Fall campaign started in Oxford in, in the UK, um, which was interesting to me because the guy who was uh, a leading activist who started that campaign was a Rhodes Scholar from South Africa. Um, so here's this guy who's a South African here on, in Rhodes Scholarship coming to Oxford, taking a place in one of the most prestigious universities in the world. And then immediately, uh, within a year or so, uh, wanted to topple uh, the statue of the guy on whose name his scholarship. He's not giving his scholarship money back. He's not <laughs> refusing to, to take you know, a, a position or a seat uh, in, in the university, which is essentially subsidized. Um, and it's interesting, and I used to think, like you know, you know, when when you when you look back in history about the the anti-monarchic movements that happened, for example, in the in the colonial space, for example, when Tagore refused to take a knighthood, he refused to take a knighthood. He didn't take a knighthood, and then you know, trash talked uh, the king, so to speak. Um, but that obviously was a hundred years back, and this is in 2015. Um, the I, I say this to to take credit that the statue toppling movement was there is always this idea that you know all of these woke things come from the US and then move to the Europe on this issue however it was from it started in the UK um before mm -hmm. that obviously there has been you know revisionism when it comes to museums and uh, and and universities and historical books but the first you know 
the the main idea that we're going to yeah. just topple statues and change and restructure the entire society around it started from the UK. Um, obviously, I moved uh, to the US and then moved to Richmond. And, you know, as those of you all who know, you know, Richmond had a Monument Avenue. Um, and that was one of the first things which I which I encountered was just this this Monument Avenue with all the pedestals still there, you know, full of graffiti. But um, all the statues are gone. Um, that obviously isn't the way history needs to be revised. Obviously, we both of us, you know, we kind of like that's part of the reason why we started this web, you know, podcast is because we wanna we wanna talk about how you can contextualize history without um without this talibanistic orgistic idea of, of 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 destruction that you leave behind so given that you have written the books so i'm going to start with you what when did you start noticing um around you know when did you start noticing about the, this this change in activism um that happened in the us you know, yeah, I so I wrote essentially this book called The War on History, The Conspiracy to Rewrite America's Past, which came out at the end of 2019. I actually started writing it in back in 2017. Um, but the phenomenon really predates that. It's simply escalated, especially in the wake of 2020. I think it really escalated into full-blown culture revolution. But I, I think the seeds of this had been planted not just years ago, but really decades ago. I, I think that there, of course, I think that it's it's a really a, a two-part problem. If, if, if it was just a matter of we have radicals in society who are insistent on overturning Western regimes and changing that, that would be one thing. But I think it's really a two-part in the sense that many Americans, especially many elite institutions, have opened the door to this. And, and I think that what you see is there's a huge problem, I think, in Western societies where there's so little knowledge or understanding uh, of, of the past that there really are no longer cultural antibodies against us. If you if you proposed and say even uh, the year 2000 that we were going to go uh, take down the statue or especially in maybe 2002, people would say, well, you know, as you said, that only somebody like the Taliban uh, would take down a statue, even of, of figures that we now uh, find controversial. I think the attitude was generally, well, you know, yes, of course, there are, there are parts of our past that we disagree with or figures who are who are complex, but but ultimately this is part of the past. It's something for us uh, to discuss and understand and maybe understand about ourselves. I think that, that a lot of that has gone away. I think there's a huge amount of societal ignorance about about our past that's not just the case where you know the average american but i think many even elite americans have a significant amount of ignorance about the past and you have a concerted movement that has been dedicated uh to the overturning of american and western traditions uh for for a long time i would say that the for instance the 1619 project which actually came out just just after my book released uh, by Nicole Hannah-Jones, a project of the New York Times. Uh, Nicole Hannah-Jones was, uh, one of her mentors was a man named uh, Gerald Horn, who was a, a communist, I would even say Stalinist uh, author, who uh, had a deep issues with, with American history. He was one of the, uh, the originators of this idea of, of decolonization of the West. And you know, these ideas were percolating in academia, but they were mostly on the fringes 
now I think that they're absolutely at the forefront where you have institutions like Harvard University that make this uh, sort of the moral heart of, of what they do. So I, I don't think it's any surprise that we've, we've ended up here because I, I don't think our societies had the culture antibodies against it. And I think the institutions were, were right for capture. This is, uh, to a certain extent, a, a generation or many generations, I think, of, of real nihilism uh, in the West has opened us up to a kind of fanaticism. This has given institutions a reason for being that we're going to kind of purge history uh, and, and have a, a, a new beginning, a year zero. Um, and so it's quite amusing to me now, especially when I started writing the book and when I wrote the book, uh, there was a lot of debate happening over a, a Robert E. Lee statue uh, in Charlottesville, Virginia, where a, a riot took place and there was a lot of controversy. And at the time, President Trump was saying basically, well, hey, you know, if you're taking down the Robert E. Lee statue, is, is our Jefferson in Washington next? And I just remember a lot of the historians were being published in the Washington Post saying, oh, this is just so silly. This is so dumb. How could anybody think that? You must be a, a dummy to think that. And a few years later, you have the same Washington Post uh, thinking that, uh, you know, George Washington University should get rid of uh, the colonial mascot and that George Washington maybe uh, was on the chopping block next. I mean, just a few years uh, this transformation took place. So uh, I, I suppose the jokes on our society after that, but uh, you see how fast a lot of these institutions that one would imagine would be upholding uh, what this country stood for one way or another, elite institutions suddenly turned on that and decided that they were going to purge any uh, notions of, of reverence or uh, respect for the past. Uh, this happened in a very short amount of time, and it wasn't just mobs in the street. It was the Jacobins in the elite. Yeah, I think I think that's interesting uh, that you mentioned. Like, I remember um, uh, we talked about this before. Like, when you watch movies from the '90s, for example, like there was this cultural superiority in you know we won the Cold War. You know, the, the, this is our history, and our history kind of like um, succeeded in in battling out in with the forces of the other side. Um, I remember watching Hunt for Red October and like there, I mean, obviously, you know, the two quotes which are um, used in the movie, one about Cortez burning his ships and the one about <laughs> about um, uh, welcome to the new world and, uh, you know, Jefferson, both Cortez and Jefferson are like villains now. Um, you know, and 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 one has to remember, like when Hunt for Red October came out, it was like 1991. That was like peak immediately after the Cold War, and we were portraying those as heroes of the West, who who you know who discovered the new world and who gave the new world its founding principles. You know, Cortez and Jefferson. And you look at these days; I mean, they are obviously you know this this huge amount of self loathing. Um, but to bring it back to the more uh, modern context, um, you you mentioned cultural revolution. Um, how would you define that? Um, how would you define that? Like, this is obviously, uh, when, when people talk about cultural revolution or like cultural revolutionary forces changing society, one thinks of the Jacobins and or, or, or the Maoist red gods. But, but nominally, at least, the US is a liberal capitalist democratic country. So, but we are seeing the same forces happening. Like, what, what is, like, there is this um, contradiction on one hand, you associate these kind of vanguardist 
uh, revolutionary en enthusiasm among in, in, in societies which are traditionally authoritarian and you know you have this top-down measure and you just you just destroy stuff um, but on the other hand here uh, it's a federal society states have different powers um, it's democratic it's it's nominally liberal there's a bill of rights you know but it's still happening it's 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 fundamentally this you know the same forces are still in play how how what do you think of that I think there is a a transition or a transition that's been happening, I think, in certainly America and a lot of Western societies away from a long tradition, I think, of, of self-government. I think we've become highly bureaucratized. I think a lot of our policies are now set by either federal bureaucracies or courts. I think that there's a, a, a revolution coming from the top down especially in the United States. I mean, when you look at polls about statues or history, especially when this this thing broke out, it, it wasn't coming from, you know, Joe America, and it wasn't coming from any significant block as far as numbers uh, in, in American society. In fact, I remember when, you know, of course, the early discussions were about Confederate statues, a plurality of black Americans said, leave them in place. I mean, if you were listening to what was happening uh, in the media, you would think that that was absurd. That was impossible. I mean, how could this be? Um, but that that wasn't the narrative that, that was that was portrayed. Um, and so I think that there's been, a, I think, a revolution that's taking place, not just as far as the statues and the history, because I think in a certain sense, the history is a sideshow. It's this idea that we need to fundamentally transform America, that there's something wrong with the way our, our institutions have operated. There's something wrong with our fundamental ideas. There's something wrong with our culture. It's a, it's a, we live in a, a systemically racist society uh, that needs to be punished for its sins. Uh, whenever you want to refer back to, well, our constitutional traditions or the Declaration of Independence, the Bill of Rights, they want to be able to say, well, all those things were based on nothing but racism and slavery. And so therefore, they're not valid anymore. I mean, you have discussions about, for instance, uh, the Electoral College, the way that America selects its presidents. Now, you could argue against the Electoral College on its own ground, say that I think that this institution is bad for the way we do. But the discussion immediately flipped, especially in the media, to uh, it was actually used to create and, uh, and uphold slavery. That The only reason why we have the Electoral College is slavery, which Frankly, there are some serious historians who I think knew better who, who rolled into this argument that, frankly, is bunk. If you actually read the debates that took place at the Constitutional Convention, the idea that um, small states are, are necessarily slave states and large states are free states is just is not relevant to the debates and discussions that were happening during the, the convention. It was just it was just a, a way to malign and tarnish. A, a venerated American tradition that worked very well for the country for, for over two centuries that created the stability that, that Americans have had, had that, that was a huge part of the federalist system. So I, I think there's, a, in many ways, a very direct uh, policy and you could say uh, governmental uh, aspect of this, which is to uh, delegitimize the things that have actually been so important and so necessary uh, for Western countries and Western institutions, especially the United States, and you could say have been uh, largely an impediment uh, to many far-left activists in particular. I, I think since uh, through the 20th century, I think this is a way uh, for them to circumvent that, to say, you know, you Americans who venerate your constitution and your, your freedom, your federalism, all of that is garbage. 
And if we take it away, you should be happy for that because we're eliminating systemic racism in society. And isn't that a good thing? And I think that that is really what this comes down to. It's it's not just about individual discussions about Columbus or Robert E. Lee or George Washington. There's a larger political agenda at stake, and it actually it transcends history in many ways. So I I mean let me let me uh, ask you a couple of things. So so. Uh, what you say, like it, it's a combination on one hand of apathy um, in the in the general public and a lack of historical studies. Um, you know, uh, you you rightly mentioned about the electoral college. I mean, that's one of the most that that's that's one of the strangest um, debates that I've seen since I moved to the U.S. Uh, a few years back. Um, <clears throat> like, first of all, as you rightly mentioned, um, the electoral college was there was this fear. Um, during the Constitutional Convention that it's to ensure that the small states have equal rights with the big states. Uh, the fear was that the big states are not just going to roll over the rights of the, of, of the small states, but they're actually going to conquer the small states. You know, there was this idea at that point of time when America was still, you know, forming and, and you know, uh, founding itself, uh, finding itself, uh, that some of the eastern states, which are already established for a for a hundred years, they're just going to have a better militia and a better army, and they're just going to roll over and conquer the the smaller states. So, one of the reasons why, I mean, obviously people can say like the electoral college now, it's you know there there is no such fear of California invading North Dakota, for example, and and just like taking it over. But fundamentally, that was the fear at that point of time. But also, secondly. Up until the 90s, or even like the early 2000s, as you mentioned, people used to understand that the United States is not a democracy, but more like a, 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 a constitutional republic where it, it, it's the, the, it's United States, like it's the states which are important than individuals. Like it's the, it's, the, it's the states coming together with a compromise. Those are not the things that's taught in history classes anymore. And that's also part of the reason why you know we we think don't we that you know that's that's that has a cumulative effect on the on this idea of of how americans and you know are, are viewing their history uh but the second point which which is more interesting to me is that you touched upon in your book um this is also a failure of of the right isn't it like i mean it, it, it's one thing to blame you know, uh, revolutionary, you know, vanguards on the other side, but vacuums don't just come on their own. Like, well, I mean, what, what, what do you, what do you, what are your opinions about the, 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 the way, you know, the right sort of like lost ground in, in this, in this, uh, you know, war of narratives and the war of history. Yeah. I think that's multi-part and all, all good points about the electoral college i mean I, I you know going back to that uh, it's it's an important institution that has created enormous stability in american history it's funny because the system actually has become more democratic over time it used to be that states actually chose their electors it flipped to uh democracy in within the states choosing and i and i would say as much as i think the system generally has worked under both has our has our have our presidents and gone up in quality since the the early days of of the republic since it became more democratized? I think sometimes when people throw around the word democracy, they just assume that means good. Democracy equals good, but 
it doesn't always mean good. And that's what the founders understood. You need a certain amount of, of democracy in, in a functioning republic, uh, but it shouldn't be the whole thing. And that's not everything. That doesn't mean that it's going to be good. After all, democracies, uh, a lot of petty democracies ended up in, in absolute tyranny in very short order. So uh, that's something that used to be taught to American school children. Now I think they're being taught something um, very different. And as far as the the failure on the right in particular, because, of course, to a certain extent, you could say that it's ultimately the conservatives in society who should be protecting our history, protecting these things that ha have been destroyed. You know, where where are those elements in, in any society? There has to be a significant number of people uh, who are there standing for what it even is for. And, and I think that there was a failure, especially I mean, this gets to some of my debates with other conservatives early on who didn't really, I think, understand the nature of what was happening in the sense that I got a lot of pushback, especially when I was defending, say, Robert E. Lee Memorial. They're saying, well, this is this is about the Confederacy and they're a bunch of traitors and we should take it down and it's racist and, and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, I, I, I tried to make the point as, as best I could. And I actually debated with some conservatives, not just you know, where I was writing, I had some actual debates, but on, on social media and elsewhere, that if you're, if you think this is about the civil war and this is about, uh, you know, the difference between states' rights, individual rights and slavery and, uh, you know, freedom. And I, I thought they were kidding themselves, that this is really about a much larger social and cultural revolution where the, those who want to take down the Robert E. Lee statue, the people who are leading the charge on this, don't make any diff uh don't see any distinction between uh thomas jefferson and thomas jefferson davis they, they might as well be uh of the same type i mean they, they really don't see any distinction here and the the, the confederate issue is simply low-hanging fruit uh to begin demolishing the rest of history too and i think the fact that many conservatives seem to not understand this and were you know busy fighting old fights about the civil war uh, really struck me as a failure. And I think that was partly why I wrote the, the book that I did, why I write, wrote The War in History, in part was to uh, get the right to marshal itself and to be able to defend our actual history, to go back and say, well, this is the reason why we put up these statues to begin with. And in my book, I tried to go through from almost from the beginning, through from Columbus to the Pilgrims to Andrew Jackson to the Civil War generation. I tried to go through our history and say, well, this is the reason why Americans saw these things as good. It doesn't mean they were perfect. Obviously, they aren't perfect. Why should we even uh, be considering that? We don't live in a, in a perfect world. Do I agree with everything that, that Thomas Jefferson did? Of course not. I mean, that would be, that'd be silly. Uh, I don't agree with everybody who agrees with me today on politics, uh, on, on all things. So uh, the, the fact that the people of our history were, were flawed or made bad decisions uh, is no reason to, to throw them out, to destroy them, to, and to especially not to allow... Uh, Jacobins to simply disappear them and banish them, I think, from not just public reverence, but public debate. I mean, they're they're simply being disappeared uh, or thrown into, I think, unfortunately, a lot of institutions and museums that don't use their 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 time and and and, and influence to teach people about history, but to simply shame uh, the past uh, of the West in the United States. I mean, look, you just go, you go into the, the Met Museum in, in New York City and the American History Museum is filled with all these labels of, uh, you know, native perspectives on blah, blah, blah. And it really is just an attempt to uh, discredit 
America's past. I mean, it's, it couldn't be more clear. So I, we obviously are going to talk about the reconciliation monument and and Lee's, you know, the the revisionism about Robert T. Lee. But I, I I want to get back to something that you mentioned today, and that's kind of like a pet peeve of mine, which I've been I've been like doing some reading and research. Like I'm fascinated by this idea that just because we live in a democratic society, um, we kind of start thinking and feeling that this is the end state of human affairs like there is you know this this idea that this is it there had there will not be any more uh social change or you know structural change or or you know anything of that sort um that wasn't the case even in the early american education system for example like i you know uh, i've been i've been doing some reading about that and uh there was this idea immediately post gilded age that you know yes we are you know, it, it's, it's the Platonic concept of of, of a republic. Uh, like Plato, for those of you you know who are listening, is um, that um, uh, that that you know, uh, democracy, direct democracy, is just right above tyranny when it comes to comes to government. Um, and Plato's idea, like his basic idea, was one philosopher kings, and then and then and the second is like this this idea of epistocracy, where like you know. Uh, educated republicans you know uh, a republic which which spends a lot of time in the education of its citizenship it builds up critical thinking and rational thinking and they kind of then form the bulwark of society and 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 some of them like the smart people of those just uh, take the decisions on behalf of the society which is a very senatorial idea of having a republic you know the, this 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 uh, in in you know intelligent men of you know of of the country standing you know as as senators and stopping both the tyranny individual tyranny of a king but also the tyranny of the of, of the masses the, the democratic tyranny that idea was uh taught um in the early american republic even like even during the you know teddy roosevelt and all that you know he he wrote a lot a lot of stuff about how uh america needs to uh, educate uh, uh, its its uh, you know Republican citizenship to have the idea that they have democratic rights. Like you would not have democratic rights if you are not qualified enough in the in in the eyes of the republic to to kind of like take yourself up to the level of 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 a of a of a citizen uh, of of the republic. Like the the characters and the criteria that's needed to to fulfill you know that that expectation needs to be there. Um, that obviously has changed, as you mentioned, um, given, you know, and, and, and subsequently, uh, as a result of more democratization, more direct democracy, qualities and standards have fallen, for example, right? I mean, so not only we have moved beyond and this, this idea of, of educated Republican citizens who have rational and critical thinking, but we have mass democratized um uh, education system in a way where we are essentially like putting forward bureaucrats and that's in turn creating the system where they 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 lack critical thinking but they have this chip on their shoulder that they're like educated enough and credentialed enough and now that's leading that's being the vanguard of all the statue toppling and destruction that's happening right so is that is that is that a way to view that yeah it, it it's interesting because 
the the way now that you actually enter into our societal elite is by trashing the very institutions that you wish to lead. I mean, I, I thought it was remarkable. There's a, a recent story about the Skull and Bone Society, um, very famous, uh, you know, at, at Yale. You know, there's this, of course, this club, this high flu. And now to gain entrance into this yeah. club, members, is a man who just a few years ago wrote a a long diatribe saying that Yale should be abolished. That it was just a, you know, a hateful racist institution. Well, now he's, he's in the society. I mean, I mean, that's now the barrier. And I think this is the kind of how we reversed engineered, you know, how this country's been and how it did oftentimes in the past, you know, welcome newcomers. I mean, when Theodore Roosevelt, you mentioned Theodore Roosevelt talking about a time which there was high levels of immigration uh, to the United States to keep the Republic, uh, a Republic and to, integrate new citizens into being fellow Americans, you had to teach them a, a positive version of what that country was, that they were, that they were going to be what they were coming to, um, teaching to be real Americans so that, you know, the young Italian boy will say, you know, Thomas Jefferson, he's, he's the founding father. He's, you know, he's my father too, so to speak. And it's to create unity uh, and create a unity of purpose uh, among very different groups people come from many different tribes throughout the world who come from many different backgrounds to create something on the lines of unity for that new nation you know that was the old way of doing things it was to to pass along what what the founder started and and, and what what had been a thread throughout the west uh to the youngest generations now you get ahead in these elite institutions by doing the exact opposite of that by showing that uh you are most hostile to their existence that you are going to call them systemically racist from the beginning, that that is now the barrier to entry, um, which I, I can't imagine as a more toxic situation, as, as especially as the United States is now becoming a very much a, a multicultural, you could say multinational uh, country. Uh, how exactly are we going to hold that all together uh, when the elite is, has decided that it's it's only purpose now is to to demolish what's what's existed before when you have citizens who have no loyalty feel no uh attachment to that country because besides well hey maybe it's a it's a time for you to you know make some money here uh and that's nice and that's good but you don't you don't owe anything you don't owe citizenship is is bare is almost meaningless uh elections who cares uh everything's run by a, by a, an out of touch bureaucracy in, in Washington DC i mean these are things that are literally the exact opposite of what this country was founded on i mean the exact opposite They're, these this is the warning uh th that we had from those generations and within a few generations it seems that you know that that self government that that long tradition of self government uh is becoming increasingly a farce and and um I think that's what's, you know, maybe most disturbing about this. I mean, there are many disturbing aspects about what the war on history has wrought and I think will uh, will do in the future uh, if we continue along this path. So, yeah, I mean, I, I uh, so the question in front of us then at this point, I mean, you, you mentioned Teddy Roosevelt's like that, that speech and, and, that, and that was people used to forget like that was a huge uh, era of massive migration that happened. And I mean, the entire it, it there's not just Italians. There were Italians. There were Irish. I and mean, there are like cartoons in the Virginia Historical Society about how you know the West were like the Irish are like a boisterous race. You know they 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 just drink and they never mingle and they you know and yeah um, uh, Jewish populations. You know there was this huge migration around 1920s and 1930s. Um, uh, Irish Italian uh, and Teddy Roosevelt wrote this 
this essay on Republican citizenship uh, about how, um, like, against hyphenated Americans, so to speak, like this, this, this entire idea that, you know, you're, you're German American or you're Irish American is wrong. You are American. And, you know, you, you would speak English and the only flag you'd, you know, reverse, so to speak, is the American flag. And and that was the idea of, of a Republican citizen. Like, in order to, like, you know, the, the burden of assimilation was on those who come rather than on those who are hosting, right? I mean, that 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 mood has shifted. Um, but but that brings to the to the to the bigger question about your 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 idea of war on history. Like, is this a precursor, for example, to to tyranny? Like, is 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 are we? I mean, as historians, as people who look at social changes and you know and historical uh, examples and try and figure out what happens in and what ha- what 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 happen in the future. It, is this a precursor to tyranny? And if, if that, because, because usually what happens is whenever there is disorder like that, and whenever the, like the social cohesion is completely torn, uh, when people don't identify with their fellow citizens as someone who are within the boundaries of that country and, you know, with whom they have a fellowship or a fellow feeling, um, there is no unity. And at that point of time, it's very easy for someone to say that I'm going to, provide that unity and i'm gonna be you worship me and i'm gonna just take power and just you know do it by force and that's you know this is pretty much the reason why democratic you know democracy and democratic disorder leads to tyranny like that one of the reasons why plato kept democracy just above tyranny is because not just democracy is a bad thing but because of too much democracy the social cohesion of the country just gets destroyed and that in turn leads to a strongman. And we have seen several times in Latin America, for example, or even in Europe, um, that same like playbook that gets played. So is that so is the statue toppling in your opinion and you know the war on history is a precursor? Like when you don't have any binding uh, idea of a society, does that lead to tyranny then? I, I do think it does. And I think the attitude that now has gone into this idea of statue toppling, toppling, erasing history, erasing monuments, I think does have an impact, I think, on the even the character of the American people. I mean, this idea that you're going to gather together in a mob and demolish a statue, that the institutions will, will take will take up the mantle and decide to erase those statues that put them in, in a museum these gatekeepers will shame it or to do something even more dramatic like they did with the robert e lee statue in charlottesville which is to have an almost uh ritualistic destruction of the statue where it's being literally melted down obviously for display obviously to show look what we're doing to the statue we're melting and look at its face burning um that kind of attitude as it gets into the minds of citizens and you talk about a lot of how America seems to be on the edge of a, a very intense culture war. I think this is only ramping it up to 10. This idea that you don't solve your your differences through debate, you don't solve it through deliberation, you don't solve it through the, the proper channels of Congress. You simply seize power and crush your enemies. You stomp on them until they're gone. You erase them. You completely wipe them out. They shouldn't exist anymore. And I think that that mentality uh, has now, I think, actually ex- very much exists in American institutions that, you know, the people that we disagree with, we're, we're not all just we're not all Republicans. We're not all Federalists. Uh, we're actually enemies. Uh, you're, you're at war with our democracy and our democracy is going to come and smash you. Uh, and we're going to use all of our institutional power to do so. 
And I think that's very much changing the outlook and character of the American people. And for those who are on the outside looking in, I think that they see fewer needs for limitations when they do uh, seize power. The idea that, well, look, if we don't if we don't seize power, well, certainly our enemies will, and they're just going to use the power of the state to, to crush us, to, to destroy everything uh, that we hold dear. We're going to be forced to do things against our will, and we're going to have no say in it. We're going to be shamed uh, for even uh, for being even being against it. We're going to be called racist or all these terrible things that uh, have allowed people to be destroyed in our societies. And so I think the mentality behind the entire movement is one that I think will lead to the end of Republican government. It'll lead to a tyranny one way or another, no matter who actually wins in that situation, it will almost certainly, I think, lead to the end of small R Republican government. The very things that, you know, the, the men, the statues really built in this country uh, will be destroyed and, and it'll be destroyed, you know, by those people who, who decide that they were going to tear them down, destroy, I think the, the feelings and uh, the the amity that I think did to a certain extent exist uh, in Western countries will be abolished. I, I think to make one last point, I think that was that was why the tearing down of the reconciliation monument in Arlington National Cemetery that was portrayed as oh it's a Confederate monument tear it down. I think was a notable moment in this because that monument was created at the end stage of the Civil War had already happened. A generation had gone by. Many old men who lived in this republic were men of the, the North and the South. The, the, the drive to put that statue up was actually started by men like William McKinley, a man who had fought for the Union, who had, who had been in the face of Confederate gunfire, who thought that we needed a place to put Confederate uh, veterans of the war. Because in the years that had gone on since that Civil War, Many of those same men had fought for the United States. Their sons had been fighting for the United States. And they thought at that time it was proper, necessary and proper, uh, to at least venerate the, the, those who had, had fought in that war, a very contentious war that had been solved in the field of battle, that we essentially would bury the hatchet as a nation, say, you two are Americans, we're all Americans, we're going to create out a special monument for, for this. You know, following especially the Spanish, uh, the Spanish-American War, which uh, had some commanders who had actually fought for the Confederacy in it, um, and the fact that now, a, a century later, that we need to go back and we need to tear that down and tear those efforts of reconciliation that allowed the United States, as a unified country, to become the world's preeminent superpower. It's because of those actions that they took that the wisdom of that time to create reconciliation in a country that maybe should have never had a chance to come back together, that we had the, 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 the great American century. And the fact that we are now tearing it down over a century later, when all those people are very much long gone, uh, says something about the, the state of the, of the American Republic, and I think puts a, a dark cloud on our future. Are, are we going to have a, a unified American Republic in the future that can resolve its issues, that can you know, look into the world with, with confidence, uh, in itself and its and in our fellow citizens, uh, I, I think that moment said that we don't. We we are simply going to punish our enemies, reward our friends, and that's that. And I think that's a very that's a very bleak future if that continues. Yeah, I think that's very interesting because I, uh, I I was uh, you know I've seen the Arlington Memorial and stuff, and uh, and some of the quotes about 
you know, obviously this is not an episode where we are revising Robert E. Lee because I think that's gonna just just gonna take a whole bunch of time and we need to have a separate <laughs> episode on, on that individual anyway. But he's fascinating. I mean, I live in Richmond, so I'm kind of like, you know, this is my home. Um, but but it's 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 interesting. Um one, Lee himself was uh an officer of the of the United States, and then he his his fundamental idea was not even that he supported slavery, but he just didn't want to raise weapons against his own home state. Uh, so that uh, identity of you know that I'm a Virginian first before I'm an American or I'm a Carolinian first, um, that obviously has changed and shifted. But as you mentioned, some of the reconciliation that happened post uh, you know Civil War was because Americans fought together again. So, you know, they, they were fighting in the Spanish-American War. Their, their, you know, their, you know, sons were fighting. Eisenhower, for example, uh, was one of the guys who uh, commented about how Robert E. Lee is one of the great Americans. Uh, I mean, no one is going to say that. I, I mean, maybe t- tomorrow. I don't know. No one knows. But at least today, no one is going to say that Eisenhower is a, you know, is, is a racist or something like that. Um, the guy literally, like, fought Nazis. Um, so, <laughs> so, um so, so the question is, uh, at, at this point in time, what could be done? Like, I mean, obviously, this is not a policy podcast, but given that history is related to, to, to policy and we are, we are reaching almost the end of the segment, um, how, how to reverse? I have some ideas, but I want to hear about your ideas first um, as to how, how to reverse the trend of, you know, of vilification of the past. I think that... The first thing that needs to be done, and I do think actually what happened going back to the beginning of the episode, we mentioned this this William Penn statue. Um, William Penn, who was not a Confederate, who uh, yeah, I was going to say that was a win. I, that was a win actually. Like they they reversed the decision, right? I mean, yes. before you, yeah, yeah. So that's and a win. I think you it's think very interesting. That was that was a win, and I think it was a very specific case where you have social media, and I will say that. Things, especially after Elon Musk took over X, have changed a bit on social media. Um, I think a combination of the the fury that existed there. That I mean, look, I think that without social media, nobody would have even known this was happening. It would just been one of those bureaucratic decisions. Someday, you find out. You go to you know William Penn's house. William Penn, of course, the founder of of, of the colony of Pennsylvania. You would have gone there, and there simply would have been no statue, or there would have been a giant plaque saying, you know, what a horrible you know racist he was. Um, so you had that. You had the explosion, the fury that existed on social media, and you had a, st- a state of Pennsylvania um, that is not simply a blue state, but is a state that's possibly uh, in flux and where political pressure actually matters because it's in question now because of a an upcoming presidential election. You had some very tightly contested races, and you have uh, some Democrats in the state because the governor, uh, Josh Shapiro, uh, actually came out on, on X and said, well, I'm glad they reversed this decision, which I thought was very interesting, uh, seeing that come from a Democrat. Uh, because I think to a certain extent, they don't want to be labeled as wild-eyed radicals in a state where things seem like they're actually still up for grabs. You know, if this had happened in a state like California, where I come from, I don't think anything would have changed. I don't think it would have necessarily mattered. But in the cases where there is some political power on the other side to actually change the outcome of elections. I think things can happen. I think there is a political component of this that while institutions and bureaucracies are running roughshod, 
that there's still the American people still have some power and some say over this. As long as there are politicians who rightly fear the people, um, and there are enough people who are who are, who will have by oftentimes by word of mouth on social media and, and elsewhere, say, hey, we're not we're not we're not okay with this. Our our history should not come down. Politicians, you do something about this, or I'm going to throw you out. I think that's still even now, even with I think a lot of the erosion of self-government. I think that dynamic still still exists. And so I'd say in this particular case, I think the conditions were there to I mean, I think the National Park Service actually kind of got embarrassed by this because they didn't even have they didn't even have a reason in their statement besides the, the kind of, oh, we're doing it for inclusion and we're working with tribes. The tribes didn't even ask for it to be taken down. So they were simply doing it for the most obvious reason, which is it's just all American history, this guy was a, a man from long ago. He has a, a white skin and he needs to go. They couldn't really come up with any justification for this. Um, so I think the, the first step in all this is to simply, you know, to these unreasonable demands, you have to be unreasonable. You can't sit there and, and argue them out of this. You have to use actual political power uh, to draw the line, say we're not going to we, we, we will we will oppose you at every every stop. Uh, we will oppose you, whether it's a, a statue of a confederate, it's a statue of Penn or a statue of anybody. We simply don't agree with this entire movement, and we're going to throw everything in, in the path that we can. Uh, the next step, and I think maybe even more important step, I mean, you have to, that, that's, that's like phase one. You have to put your foot down and realize what's happening to you. And I think I would hope at this point enough people now understand that this is a cultural revolution, uh, that this is not going to stop at any particular uh, figure in American history is to go on the offensive, to start rebuilding the reputation of those in the past, uh, to be willing, when you do have power, to put up statues and monuments of, of men of our past, to, to, to go on offense, uh, to not, I mean, obviously a lot has been and will be torn down, but to say we're not, we're, we're simply not going to allow this to continue. In fact, we're going to go on offense. In our community, we're going to put up a statue of Christopher Columbus. I know there was a a small town in, in Rhode Island when they took a Columbus statue down uh, in Providence, Providence, Rhode Island, uh, they actually were able to acquire the statue um, and they put it up in another small community in the state. And I thought that was a great moment. I, I thought that was like a, a small, you know, you say a little flowering of, of the potential here of people saying, hey, you know what? We're not just going to let you take down our history. We're going we're gonna to rebuild that history. We're going to show, hey, you know what? We still support Columbus. You know, you, the Americans are still here. We're, we'll still stand for the flag. We still stand for our history. And I think that that is a, a necessary component to this, that it not just be allowed to, to die with the destruction of these monuments, that there's a real offensive movement to say, we're going to rebuild and we're going to teach our fellow Americans about uh, what our history was about, why it's why it's good, why it's positive, why you know we have this republic. Uh, I think those are necessary components to a new birth of freedom. I guess you could say. I think that's very interesting that you mentioned. Like, I mean, it, it, it always like I mean, given that you know we are both historians, like it always like baffles me how ironic history could be. Like, fundamentally, we were talking about the 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 tyranny that happens from democratic you know, uh, forces, uh, you know, democratic tyranny. But to me, it seems like in order to reverse the trend, we have to be more populist in a way. Like we have to, 
like normal Americans are the ones who are opposing all the statue toppling and it's like this this elite idea. So it's kind of like going back to the revolutionary ideas of, of American founding that look at the end of the day, you know, if, if it's, it's the people like if you can have like a, a, a dedicated set of elite who is going to lead the people towards their, you know, their, their you know, a, a positive idea towards of their country, then it could be done. You're absolutely right about you mentioning the Rhode Island statue thing. Um, which was very interesting to me because this was actually a really small county, uh, which which our, our town, which actually bought the statue. Um, the original one was, I think, in Newport, and um, that was uh, toppled, but it wasn't destroyed. And this this really small town said, like, yeah, we're gonna use parts of our budget, but we're just gonna put that statue up. And I think that was a, I think that's a, that's exactly right. That that's a great way of looking at how uh, we have scored some victories when it comes to in, in the Cultural Revolution. It's not like just all, you know, doom and gloom. Um, obviously, a lot needs to be done, but I think there are some positive signs that things are changing. I remember one of the, uh, in peak 2020, there was this archaeological professor. Um, she was a female in DC who said that, like, uh, I think she tweeted something about how to topple the obelisk, the 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 Washington DC. Uh, <laughs> do you remember that one? Um, I so remember she, this one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So she was like, "Yeah, I'm not. I all I can say like I'm an e- Egypt expert, and you have you have to topple an obelisk. You have to like rope it in in the bottom." And I'm thinking at the same time, there's this Syrian archaeologist who uh, refused to tell the ISIS where the Palmyra statues were hidden and gave his life because he wanted to save the statues because, you know, he, he was burned alive. He was one of the top Syrian archaeologists. of He, he actually named his daughter Zenobia um, after, after the queen of Syria. Um, uh, so, and, and he gave his life. And, and, and I was thinking about the difference between, you know, an American woman professor based in Washington, D.C., you know, agitating and trying to topple statues. On the other hand, a Syrian Muslim uh, archaeologist who's trying to save the statue, pagan statues, by the way, um, from the hands of ISIS. And, and the irony was just palpable. Uh, but you're right. I mean, there, there are, there have been. We, we, you, you know, you cannot let it go. Obviously, um, this is not just. You know, at, at some point in time, we have to say no. I mean, and this is it. Um, before we end today, uh, I want to talk about your book because that, because, because this is the book section of the of the episode, and I want you to. <laughs> No, I, I, because I, I was one of the first ones to review your book for Martin Center. I remember that. Um, like great. I was like, well, yeah, yeah. Um, I loved it. Um, because I, because at that point of time, like you know, all this roads must fall happening in the UK and all these things happening in the US. I was like, someone needs to write about that. And, yeah, and your book was there, and I obviously know you for a while. So, um, so tell me about, tell us about your, uh, your book. Uh, what you named it, where you can find it, what's the central thesis, and uh, what's your next plan for the next book. <laughs> yeah um so the book kind of as i said kind of came it's called the war on history the conspiracy to rewrite america's past i began writing it in 2017 especially after the controversy over the 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 charlottesville and not just the charlottesville incident but other incidents where you really saw a ramping up of, of attacks on american history and i think uh, what i saw was a real failure for america's elite in particular to, to say anything in defense of what the country was founded on. It, it was just, it was remarkable to me. And it shouldn't make because of course the Academy and I think the American elite has been unfortunately corrupted for a long time, 
but it there should have been a number. It shouldn't. It should have been coming from Harvard and Yale and all these institutions to say, hey, you know, uh, yes, there are parts of this that are past that uh, you know don't aren't in line with how we run things today. But here's X, Y, Z, why why we used to celebrate them. Let's put this in context. And I, I thought it was the complete failure of American institutions to put up any kind of defense that, I mean, it foreshadowed now where they, they've literally been co-opted by the Jacobins, um, that they were completely in it, incapable of doing that uh, at the time. You know, you talk about the issue of populism in, in, in the modern West, and I think that this that's largely where it comes from. There, there are millions of Americans who I think they get it, they, they, they understand, they have a veneration of our, our history. They may not know every detail, but they have some basic understanding that look how prosperous we've been. Uh, look how many people have wanted to be here. Clearly, we've we've done something right. Uh, it's not all just uh, vicious racism and hate and terrible things. Clearly, something we've done something right here. And you have elites who simply can't even explain that and and, and can't defend that. Who don't want to. And so I sort of wrote my book in, I, I suppose, a sort of populist vein in the sense that, I, look, I just wanted to, to educate Americans ab ab about their past. I, I took, uh, my book goes through kind of the, the stages of American history from its days before America existed, but where the new world was opened up under Christopher Columbus, um, and, and took uh, and took it through to basically the, the American century up till you know, the, the triumph in World War II, things that, you know, were universally celebrated at one time that many Americans of different backgrounds, ethnicities, uh, different races, uh, people once were able to celebrate and understand, well, hey, these are good things with, I think, understanding that, yes, the, the past has many uh, complex elements that, you know, many we don't like, but you know, you had that perspective in the past. People were able to keep things in perspective. We lost that, uh, I think, in, in, in the last few decades. And, and post-2020, of course, my book comes out in 2019. And the summer after, almost, you know, most of the statues that I was, and, and people I was writing about in that book came under complete siege uh, during that time. I mean, I, Christopher Columbus, who uh, was part of the first chapter of my book, which I talked about, was actually the, one of the prime targets uh, of these attacks. You know, Christopher Columbus wasn't a Confederate, obviously, um, but he's a symbol of the new world. He's a symbol of those who say they want to decolonize this and decolonize that. You know, Christopher Columbus is a, is a, is a picture of that. And of course, you, know, you have some of kind of popular far-left histories by especially historian Howard Zinn, who was become very popular among younger people, uh, who was a prime target uh, of, of many of those, those attacks and di diatribes. So what happened in 2020, you have this, you know, the great, you know, racial reckoning in, in America, and you have essentially mobs going about uh, tearing down that history that, you know, I was writing about and I was defending. And then you had complicit institutions that stood by and were basically cheering the mob. Um, I think that my book was was a warning of what's to come, and I, I think an attempt to educate people. So for those who do pick up the book, I do, I do a lot to try to at least explain these people in history, explain why Americans of previous generations uh, put up those statues and and venerated their past, and and uh, tried to be aspirational, tried to to look. We want do we want a future generation of of people like George Washington? Of course we do. You know we should hope so. Maybe we'll never quite equal that, but we hope we'll have future generations who will be able to make who will have the kind of leadership that I think existed 
in this country's past. Uh, instead of what essentially become a generation uh, of radicals, people who reduce every issue down to a single thing or every issue becomes completely reductionist. You're either racist or anti-racist. And, you know, I have to crush you because, you know, you're against our democracy. Um, so I tried to offer a corrective with my book and tried to inform those who still cared to defend our history, some some weapons uh, to to argue if they if they especially for people they know, especially younger people who I think um, their schools and even higher education does almost nothing now to to inculcate inculcate these values and and this this knowledge. So, you know, that was my real intent. It was to show people the problem that that faces us, the, the, this this cultural revolution that is eating up our institutions and and something for which we can go on the offensive and say, well, you know, actually, we will defend Christopher Columbus. You know, we will defend the, the pilgrims. We will defend uh, the founding generation. We will go through and say, you know, these things were actually a, an important part of who we are today and we're not going to give them up. And so that was essentially what I, I try to do with my book. And I suppose it continues to be relevant uh, now because, you know, we're, we're still being hit by this. You know, yes, there are some statues left. There are some monuments left. Um, but maybe we're in a phase in which, you know, it's more important now to start going on the offense instead of just defending history, go on offense in support of it. I totally agree. I think I think you definitely should write something about the Teddy Roosevelt's idea of Republican citizens. I think that's that's going to be fascinating. But uh, this is a this is a good time for us to probably stop on this episode, because otherwise we're just going to start talking about Robert V. Lee and that's going <laughs> to take another couple of hours. <laughs> but yeah. I agree. And, the, and of course, you know, to, to the listeners, there will be more future episodes probably uh, on on this subject because it is so pertinent. I'm sure that William Penn, he was not the first and will not be the last historical figure to come under attack, nor will Robert E. Lee, nor will all these other figures. Will, I'm sure we will see a lot more and it will be a topic that uh, that we do come to in the future. So uh, thank you so much as always uh, for, for joining me uh, on this episode of uh, history reconsidered Sumatra. I guess until next week. Until next week.